The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. And now, the man who takes the BS out of BS, Bill Spone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Been experiencing a little bit of pod fade lately, and there's been a large gap between episodes, so I want to apologize for that, but I'm going to get right back into it here. This episode was recorded actually in mid-2019 with John Semelhack, but it's the goal of building HVAC Science to build create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians. And I'll say HVAC because some people don't like the word HVAC. <laughs> it's not a word. But we want to help these two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy, the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I'm your host, Bill Spohn. I've been working in the building performance and HVACR building performance markets for almost 30 years. And I've noticed the need for scientifically rooted information on how to do a technically correct job. And I've encountered a lot of people over the years that really know how to do this kind of work, and I want to go about interviewing and sharing them and expanding the way you think about the work that you do. Well, building his own house, John Semelhack, his innate curiosity grew as he researched the best way to design and build the home he's going to live in. This led him to start his own business called Think Little. Now, the name of this business is really deceptive because John truly is a big thinker who acts in quiet ways to create comfortable, energy-efficient, and durable homes that really have excellent indoor air quality. And on top of that, he monitors all these factors, the energy and comfort factors after the fact. So we're going to talk a little bit about HVAC air filtration today and some really important, unique, and pretty inexpensive but extremely effective ways of achieving that kind of filtration. And near and dear to my heart, he employs test and measurement at every appropriate juncture, as well as post-work with this continuous monitoring that he does. John's also going to talk a little bit about different aspects of running the business, including a variety of services that he's developed over the years. So I want you to listen as we speak with John Semelhack of Think Little. He's also a partner with Neil Comparetto and Comparetto Comfort Solutions. So let's listen to John talk about his business. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Bill. Thanks. Good. So, John, tell me a little bit about Think Little. And you're now also, this is recent, co-owner of Comparetto Comfort Solutions. That's right. Yeah, co-owner with my partner, Neil Comparetto, since January. So, Think Little is a home performance consulting company, and Comparetto Comfort Solutions is a home performance contracting company, and a little bit of consulting as well. Think Little is 11 years old now. We work with home builders, homeowners, architects, and multifamily property developers to help them make better buildings. The main areas that we focus on are comfort, energy efficiency, indoor air quality, and building durability. We mostly work in the residential area, mostly single family and multifamily, and mostly in Virginia. How did you get into this field? I mean, 11 years, you're not 20 years old. So what have you been doing? So I got into it back in the mid-ish 2000s. It's kind of when I really started getting into doing my own research into building science. I got into it through energy, energy efficiency, when my wife and I decided to build a house here in Charlottesville, Virginia. We didn't have kids at the time. I had a lot of time for doing research. And the more research I did, the more interesting it was. And uh, eventually I found out about the world of home energy ratings and home energy raters. 
and decided to get trained as a home energy raider and launch a small business. So that was, I got trained back in 2007 and launched the business in 2008 and kind of been learning and adding skills. I try to make it continuously ever since then. There's always so much changing and morphing and developing, as, as I know, because I'm going through that process right now, trying to design and build our own high-performance home, personalized performance home. Probably a lot of questions I could ask along those lines, but let's focus on one which I think I see coming up. You're very active in social media. You do a lot of helping uh, a lot of different individuals, as I'm sure sort of an outgrowth of the knowledge base you've developed in your business. And one of the things is filtration. And the way you sort of posed the topic was why and how to get super inexpensive, extremely effective filtration. Let me break that down. First, why is air filtration, I'm assuming HVAC air filtration, important to begin with? Why is it important? So the indoor air quality researchers that we follow, especially Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and several other places, but essentially what the research seems to point to is that fine particulates, they call them PM 2.5. So they're uh, particulates that are 2.5 microns and smaller. They are the most important indoor pollutant, as long as you're not dealing with mold or really, really high levels of formaldehyde, perhaps. So there's lots of different impacts that they have. So that's really the things that they think we should be focusing on the most, as long as we're controlling moisture, for instance. So that's kind of, we pay attention to that research. And then we start thinking about ways that we can get particulates removed from houses. Your other phrase there is super inexpensive, extremely effective. Right. How do you go about doing that? How can you achieve this sort of like golden ticket, this unicorn of being inexpensive, but extremely efficient? I think we should get to that. So first we start off with extremely effective. And so that if we're using a ducted heating and cooling system to do most of our filtration, which is what we do certainly in new construction. So we start off with really tight ductwork and we start off with uh, high MERV filters. So MERV 13 is the starting point. So if you ask a lot of indoor air quality researchers, what's the starting place for good filtration, they'll usually say like MERV 11 to MERV 13 or something along those lines. So we use MERV 13 filtration as our standard. And then we make sure that all of the air that's moving through the ductwork is moving through the filter. So that's really the first step is to use that really good filter. And then the second step, of course, is how to make it so that it's not that hard to do, make it inexpensive. And the way that we've come up with, or not, it's not just us, others too, but we use return filter grills. So the filter goes in the return grill so that all of your ductwork stays clean. And that allows us, that to us, that seems to be the easiest point to size the filter effectively so that you can get that great filtration without a lot of static pressure drop. You're not really reducing the airflow much at all if the filter is sized properly and is a deep enough filter. So for instance, in a lot of the systems that we design and we now install through Comparato Comfort Solutions, we're often using one ton or maybe ton and a half 
nominal capacity heat pumps. And so we're moving in the range of 400 to 600 CFM of air through the ductwork. And we're usually using central filter grills. So usually it's just a single filter grill for that whole system. It might be for one floor of a house or a wing of a house, or if it's a small house, it might cover the entire house. And then with that airflow, we can select a filter that gives us that great filtration with very low pressure drop. So we're, let's say for a one ton system, we're often using a 20 inch by 20 inch by two inch deep MERV 13 filter. And at 400 CFM, the pressure drop is in the ballpark of 0.03 to 0.04 inches of water column, which is about 20% of our static pressure budget for what we're working with on our air handlers. Yeah, the system budget. It's in other situations, if you size the filter really, really small or by conventional practice, a high MER filter might eat up half or even three quarters of your static pressure budget. And then it doesn't, you either sacrifice airflow or you wind up having to do really extreme large duct sizing and extremely aerodynamic duct fittings or things like that. So with a slightly larger than normal filter size, we can get that great filtration without affecting the heating and cooling performance of the system. Also presenting the central filter grill puts it in an area where it's maybe there's more chance for it to be changed. <laughs> oh, sure. Versus yeah, yeah. <laughs> buried in a mechanical room kind of thing. Perhaps, so. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, we'll have to see how that goes down the road. I know in the systems that we're installing, we're providing somewhere between a year and two years worth of filters right off the bat and then providing information on where the owners can get more filters or sign up for a service contract through us. But yeah, we will have to see how long it takes before filters do get changed. One of the nice side benefits of larger filters is that they take a lot longer to get loaded up. So I've done some testing about that at my house, going as long as 10 months in between filter changes on a three-quarter ton heat pump that pretty much just the air handler runs at various speeds, but it it runs just about 24-7 all year round. And even after 24 months, I tested the pressure drop and it's still the increase in pressure drop wasn't that much. I could have gone another two or three months on that same filter, but it was really disgusting looking. So I couldn't bear to put it back in because the filters themselves, they only cost about $12 each. So it's not, we're not talking about a $50 or $75 filter that you're changing out every three or six months for. We're talking about like a literally a $12 filter. And the other part that's super inexpensive is the the filter grill itself. It's a $25 product and maybe $30 product in the 20 by 20 or 24 by 24 size with the two inch deep thickness. So we wind up being able to on the each of these systems for, you know, let's call it a price upgrade of at the most $50. You know, we're being able to deliver really top-of-the-line filtration. And we're, in our minds, we're working through different options for a future scenario where we think a customer at some point is going to ask us for maybe MERV 16 filtration or maybe HEPA-level filtration. And thinking through how can we do that with a return filter grill or how would we go about doing that? That's the next step. We're, we're waiting for that client to come across our desks. 
you mentioned Think Little is the consulting and Comparato Comfort Solutions as uh, the contracting company. So you're walking the talk. You're implementing the designs. Was that something a long time in coming or was it just uh, opportunistic? And how did you team up with Neil Comparato? Certainly a bit of both. In my mind, it was a long time coming. It's something I've been thinking about for about five years, roughly since we started designing HVAC systems. And it just seems like, you know, we're always, as consultants, we're always trying to take control, <laughs> have more control over the installation, and have very detailed drawings and notes and specifications on products, and then in the field, inspections, airflow testing, and so on. And I just always thought to myself, wow, it would be just so much easier if we had an installation team with like-minded folks. And so I met Neil on Facebook through the HVAC school group and saw that it looked like he was doing some great work up in Maryland and then had recently moved to the Richmond area, which is just about an hour away from Charlottesville. So I pinged him and we started chatting and about a year later, we moved forward with launching this new company. Very cool. In the aspect of, you mentioned testing, diagnostics, and monitoring, so you're deep into the data. How important do you think that is for the kind of work you do? It's absolutely important. Without testing, we don't really know that the systems are working properly. We don't know if we're delivering the right amount of airflow across the air handler heat exchange coil. We don't know if we're moving the right amount of airflow to the individual rooms or getting what we think is the right amount of ventilation. So all of that, all the testing work, it's just really confirming that you designed it a particular way and you think you installed it to meet the design. And then the testing is what shows that you actually did it. Or in the case of airflow balancing, every system needs a little bit of tweaking in order to get the airflow correct. We haven't had a system yet where it was right out of uh, the, the install box where everything was just perfect. So You mean they don't build them like Legos? Right. So there's changes to speed settings on the air handlers. There's adjustments of dampers and so on so that we can get a system dialed in. And then sometimes after the fact, you have to come back and do a little bit more adjustment. But the goal is to get it as close as you can to perfection before the customer moves in. Absolutely. That's the goal. That's very admirable work you guys are doing. And then on the monitor, so the monitoring side is something that we've been trying to do more and more of that on the consulting side. And Neil and I decided just to kind of take a firm stand and we're just installing various monitors on every single job that we do. And so that's a combination of an energy monitor. So we can look at the energy performance of the heating and cooling systems, you know, heat pumps so far that we're putting in, and then a consumer-grade indoor air quality monitor. You can name names. I think it's important if you feel comfortable doing that. That's fine. So the energy monitors that we're using are IOTA Watt and Sense. And then currently, the indoor air quality we're monitor we're using is the Air Visual Pro. Although I think hopefully Fubot is going to come out with an update with an actual CO2 sensor in their machine, and we'll happily jump ship over to Fubot at that point because I, I really I like their interface better. I like the equipment. 
so we're getting real-time monitoring of the systems and we're putting in a lot of the same kinds of heat pumps and the same kinds of ventilation systems. And so then we can start to build kind of a, a baseline of we have this kind of house and this kind of heat pump in it. And on this particular day, we're seeing this much energy use. And we can see as we start to track these over the days and months and different seasons and years, we'll be able to say, oh, this one looks like it's doing great. Or we might have an outlier that looks like it's using, let's say it's using 50% more energy than we expected or something along those lines. And we can try to figure out why that is. So the the energy monitoring and the indoor air quality monitoring, I think, is really where we're taking that feedback and putting that back into our designs and our installations. And unless you have some of that kind of feedback, it's you're never learning from what you're doing. It can harm your business. <laughs> and the energy bills of your occupants, there's a lot of harm to be done if you're not paying attention to the details. That's true. And the other thing, when I talk with HVAC contractors, I, the sensor technology is getting cheaper and cheaper and coming into more and more kind of consumer-grade products. And I tell the HVAC contractors, if they don't monitor their stuff, their customers are going to start monitoring. And wouldn't it be nice to know ahead of time if maybe there's a problem before your customer actually calls you? Predicting this. So that's interesting. Right. And you, you mentioned before Facebook groups. So it sounds like you know, we said you're active on social media. If someone wants to pick up this thread, uh, maybe they've got, you've sparked an interest here in a listener, where would you recommend they go? Where should they start or continue for that matter? Oh, on, on filtration? Yeah. There's definitely occasional filtration discussions on the HVAC school group on Facebook. And then also in indoor air quality. Do you remember the name of that one, Bill? I know you're in it. IAQ Intel. IAQ Intel. That one's not quite, that's not nearly as active. So that's on Facebook. Often there's great articles on filtration, especially recently from Allison Bales at the Energy Vanguard blog. Energy Vanguard, absolutely. Yep. And then occasionally on places like Green Building Advisor. You're also active on LinkedIn too, right? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm active on LinkedIn. <laughs> Right, must be somebody else named John. <laughs> I want to take a minute and mention one of the sponsors of the Building HVAC Science podcast, Detson Industries. Detson's a member of the Ule Group. They provide sustainable solutions to the residential HVAC industry by offering systems designed to maximize comfort. So while seeking out the HVAC solution for my own high-performance home that's under construction, Detson products came very highly recommended by our builder. I was in communication with their engineering and marketing teams, and I became very impressed with their air source heat pump and smart duct systems. And plan to install these in my own high-performance home, which you can follow at sponehome.com, S-P-O-H-N-H-O-M-E.com. Now, this home is scheduled for occupancy in summer of 2020. So you can surf on over to Detson, www.detson.com, to learn more about their products, where they provide a wealth of detail. Especially interesting for me is the way their smart ducts are engineered to provide what I call subtle comfort. They work fantastically well, but you barely know they're there. If you get in touch, make sure to tell them the Building HVAC Science Podcast sent you. Thanks.
let's jump to another little topic here. Maybe little, maybe not so, but in order to, you've got the supplies and returns set up, you're moving air, you're filtering it correctly. But what happens in, say, case of a retrofit and you don't have the right amount of air or the right air pressure in a room or space? Like in a retrofit situation, if we are maybe we need to deliver a certain amount of air, but we don't have a return duct or we can't really get a return duct into that room. In that kind of situation, I guess the first step is we look at the door undercut just to see if, in some cases, door undercuts, you know, doors can be really tight to the floor and we might be able to talk the customer into letting us take a little bit off the underside to provide some pressure relief. And then the next step would be to look at transfer grills or maybe a, a jumper duct or something like that. There are transfer grills that can be over the door or through the wall or even built. They can be cut into the bottom of the door to provide that return air pathway to get back to the, if you have a central return that's out in the hallway. Yeah, so that goes along with the scheme that you developed there in the first kind of topic of filtration. Right. So when we're designing systems, whether it's new or existing construction, we use the same kind of room to hallway pressure standard that's in the Energy Star program and I think several other kind of state level programs. And that's a, a three Pascal pressure differential is the maximum that we allow between a bedroom and the hallway when the doors are closed and the air handler is running on high speed. And if we have more than that, then we know we need to maybe add a transfer grill or jumper duct or something like that. We've done through our diagnostic testing, we know what works and what doesn't work, which is really handy. So the kind of the conventional wisdom is that individual room returns are kind of the gold standard for room pressure balancing. And we find with the systems that we're designing, it's completely unnecessary most of the time to have individual bedroom returns because our systems are as right-sized as we can make them. We're not delivering massive amounts of air to the bedrooms. And through our testing, we are proving that even with the doors closed, we're not getting any more than a 4 or 5% reduction in airflow when the bedroom doors are closed. That's kind of the worst case. At 3 pascals, we find that you get about a 5% reduction in airflow. And that's something we're definitely willing to live with. And that's, of course, at high speed on the air handler, which in the variable speed heat pump systems that we're designing and installing, they almost never wind up running in that high speed. And again, that illustrates, like you said a few minutes ago, why it's important to measure. You'd never know about the difference in performance without taking a measurement there. Exactly. Yep. So you use a, your blower door duct leakage test manometer to do those kind of measurements? Right, right. So you definitely, well, I've never used any other manometer except for the energy conservatory monitors. Your manometer monogamous, I guess. Right. So I've never used a um, lower accuracy kind of model that is more geared towards static pressure readings and ductwork or something like that. But yeah, you really need something that's accurate to the one or two tenths of a Pascal in order to get a good reading at two or three Pascals. But yeah, that's what we use. It's a really, when you have the tool, it's a really fast test. You can measure five bedrooms in about 90 seconds and record all those results. (laughs) So yeah, it really ought to be kind of mandatory, I guess. And so it is in our book. Jumping to that, you mentioned the speed of doing the work. 
having the right tools. Can you talk a little bit about the business aspect of this? Like, how do you find customers? How do you price out? You don't have to give your pricing, but how have you arrived at the prices for the work that you do? A lot of our customers are word of mouth, and we do we have a lot of repeat customers as well. And we, our services, you know, we tailor our services to what our clients need on, on a particular project. So we do everything from just doing a uh, home energy rating for a builder or for a client where we're kind of the energy efficiency referee is what I like to call it. We're not really doing consulting on those. We're inspecting and recording and testing and then putting together an energy model and, and generating a score. We're not necessarily helping anyone <laughs> of those jobs, but we are at least documenting what went into the house in terms of the energy performance. And then in, in our kind of our perfect client's job, we're working with a client and they're the rest of the design team from a really early point in the design process to help them meet their goals. And we're helping them design the building enclosure and the HVAC systems and the hot water delivery systems and also probably looking over lighting and appliances and uh, solar PV renewable energy systems and talking about even you know electric vehicle charging and things like that. And so that's kind of our ideal client. We're getting to do all of those things on the design end of things and then inspecting, testing, airflow balancing during construction and at the tail end of construction. And then, of course, doing monitoring post-occupancy, getting feedback from the clients and getting the data feedback as well. So for a company whose name is Think Little, those are really big ideas. <laughs> <laughs> How did you arrive at Think Little? Think Little comes from an essay written by Wendell Berry uh, in the late 1960s or 1970s. So the the gist of the essay is more or less kind of while you're waiting for the government and policymakers and, and or sure hope you're not waiting for big corporations to, to fix various problems such as energy efficiency or climate change mitigation or any number of things. Keep pushing on the big picture policy changes, but at the same time, do your own little part in your own backyard. So you do need to think big, but you need to think little at the same time. That's where it comes from. And there's, a, of course, crossovers into the practical aspects of our work. There's no magic single measure that automatically delivers comfort and durability and indoor air quality and energy efficiency. It's a it's hundred different things working together as a system. And some of them are small and some of them are big. But you have to really you have to think about all of them and how all the pieces, all the pieces come together. That other question I had there regarding customers, how do you decide what to charge for your services? And I'm sure 11 years in business, you've probably got that down. Yeah, so we're normally kind of thinking about it from a labor time input, and then we have a, a labor rate in our minds that we're looking at. And then depending on the client, it might be a fixed fee based on the amount of time that we think it's going to take us to do the work, or... If we think there's a lot of potential variability in our time input in a project, then we would just charge an hourly fee and kind of give the customer a range, an estimate range of how many hours we think it's going to take to do a certain scope of work. 
stepping back 11 years to when you started this, would you have imagined you'd be at what you're doing today? Is this following the continuum of your thinking? I mean, yes and no. I guess I didn't really have a, a set path at the time. But I think the one of the big things that I've tried to do all throughout these 11 years and hopefully going forward is I'm always trying to learn something new and trying to, we're always trying to do what we do better and also trying to add new skill sets as well. That's something that I really intentionally, I think, set out to do initially and I've been trying to continue to do that. So I, yeah. I didn't necessarily have an idea of where my path would be, but I think looking back at it, I'm not surprised at where I where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sort of let the market shape who you needed to be and help you find what you needed to do. And and I'll say that's the same for my business too. It's that's been ten years for me, and I look back and go like I never would have imagined exactly these details, but yeah, it all kind of fits and makes sense. That's what it sounds like for you. Yeah, I'm just kind of expanding on that and where the market takes you. I think one of the interesting things I discovered early on in in my career, I was doing home energy ratings, some green building certifications, and just a little bit of consulting work, and also doing some energy audits for existing home clients. And I quickly found two key things. One was that it didn't seem like existing homeowners really wanted to pay much for an energy audit. They didn't want to, in my opinion, want to pay for something that was going to be you know, five or six or seven hours of work in terms of inspecting, testing, and kind of generating a really thoughtful report. And then second, they didn't, once you gave them that report, they didn't really know what to do with it because they're not experts in insulation or air sealing or HVAC or indoor air quality and how that all came together. So new construction work was kind of where I wound up focusing because there was much more demand there. And just recently, we've started trying to get back into doing more existing home work, but really using a different process so that we are not really, we might do an energy audit initially, but we're really, certainly with Comparato Comfort Solutions, we can provide an actual full service package of improvements based on what the client is looking for. Or if it's uh, kind of a project that we can't get to from for scheduling reasons or whatnot, Think Little can kind of act as a as an owner's rep and pull together a group of trade contractors to do work and Think Little kind of supervises on behalf of the homeowner to make sure the work gets done properly. And do you think customers are different? Have you changed, noticed the difference? I'll ask that. Or have you noticed the difference in the customers you're working with today versus the ones five years ago? In terms of their understanding of when you start to talk to them, do they glaze over less? <laughs> it's really a mixture. There's a wide range of customer backgrounds, experience, education around building science. And some of them are, they're up to speed on it. They're into it. They've done a whole bunch of research and that's why they've called you. And then others just call because they've never had cooling in their house and they want to put in a central cooling system and somebody gave them your name. Uh, so yeah, it definitely does depend on the particular client. I think we covered some ground here. There's some other topics we can talk about and we'll we'll schedule that for a part two at some point. But I do want to thank you for coming on to talk to the listeners of this podcast. 
and ask you if you had any closing thoughts or, or points you wanted to summarize. I think we covered it pretty well, Bill. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to come back and talk about some more stuff. Very good. Well, thanks again, John. And I want to thank everyone who's listening to this podcast and make sure you subscribe through uh, especially iTunes or give a review through iTunes. That's always great for the podcast. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HPC Science Podcast. If you want to keep up with other things that I find interesting, you can follow us on Facebook by typing Building HVAC Science into Facebook's search bar. You can also subscribe to this podcast. It would be great if you did. That way you get absolutely the best and freshest podcasts as they come out. If you like what you heard today, you've not yet subscribed, please do so by typing Building HVAC Science in the search bar of the different services or podcast apps that you're listening to. So I want to close with a little thought for the day that relates to the topic we're talking about. This is a quote from Mahesh Babu, who's an Indian actor. The only thing I've learned over the years is that if you enjoy your work and put in best efforts, it will show. If you follow this process, things will work out. But if you go chasing a formula, success will elude you. I think John's followed a process here, and success has found him or he's found success. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of TrueTech Tools Limited. In full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of TrueTech. And the opinions voiced here are those of my guest or myself, depending on who is speaking, of course. Now, if you're in the market for some of the tools or test instruments that we talk about or mentioned in the podcast, take a look at what TrueTech Tools carries. That's my company, T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S.com. You can use the word, the code, HVACBS for a nice discount. Some of the topics we discuss require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution. So if you're a trained pro, then you can go right ahead. If you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast, and we'll get right back on track with producing more of them for your listening pleasure. Take care, everyone.